0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 312 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Lena Mackley. Lena lives in Lockport, Illinois, and she is a middle school English language arts teacher. Welcome, Lena. Hey, how are you? I am great. It's great to talk to you today. You must be on spring break. Are you on spring break?
1: Yes. I had a feeling. Good teacher. It's right after Easter. I have been in relax mode since. Uh, Well, technically, the kids went on spring break Thursday last week, but that day was still a teacher institute day. So we had to go to conferences and classes. So that was kind of an easy day. And then Friday last week was our first official spring break break day. So since then I've been cleaning. I got my nails done. They look so pretty. Yeah. Cool. I wish everybody could
0: see them. They look very Eastery. Yeah. And- I just got them done this morning. <laughs> everybody can't see it, but
1: trust me. <laughs> that's fun. Just been, you know, walking around enjoying the warm weather that's now yep. encompassed Illinois. The last couple of weeks we've gotten a lot of thunderstorms and cold and it's awful well hello spring
0: it's nice when spring break has springy weather because here at the beach we had like had a warm week and then all of a sudden it was like 50 degrees is the high and it got that it so I was like what is happening anyway <laughs> i like a warm spring so hopefully it's here to stay well i'm gonna get right started you know i like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that
1: we're gonna take the long that morning. is fine i'd like to hear the whole story I'm 30 years old now, but all my life I've really struggled with my weight and the way that I look myself in the mirror and how other people look at me. So for most of my childhood I was preoccupied with, you know, being slim and skinny and pretty and that's what I would equate as. You know, pretty as a female, right?
0: Yeah. So, were you overweight all that time, or was it just that you were conscious of wanting to be perfect?
1: I think it's the latter. I think it's being so conscious about my body and how it looked, and and how I would sit, and how I would stand, and how I would, if there was a picture, God help me. I would try to pose in the model-y kind of ways. I used to watch a lot of America's Next Top Model. I was in love with Tyra Banks. And I would pretend that I was a judge and I would judge the upcoming contestants, you know. So I was just infatuated in a way about how I would present myself to the world. I don't think I was as overweight or obese As I thought I was, I would look back at some pictures even from high school. And I would look at myself now and and think, wow, I really wasn't as large or maybe as unhealthy as I thought. I mean, I wasn't super active. Bless my heart. I would try to get into some sports, but I was not a natural athlete. I did tennis, but I only ever did like exhibition matches, which, you know, they didn't count for the real thing. But my coach would put me in because she saw I would try. But I <laughs> wasn't very good. No, I was not an
0: athlete either. When you were in school, were they still doing the President Physical Fitness Award stuff all the time? In elementary school, yes. Okay, I used to dread that. We did it all the way through high school. Like even when I was in high school gym, we would have to do all that like 600, whatever, whatever, and the running and the jumping and the flexed arm hang. And I always dreaded it. The only thing I was good at was sit up.
1: Definitely the running. We had to run a mile under a certain time and I never made it under the certain time. Never. Me neither. Never. Chin ups and sit ups. I was pretty good at sit ups, but when it came to- That was me. I was great at that. Yeah. You just like, go, go, go. But when it came to push ups, where it was more upper body strength, forget it. I had a really strong
0: core, I think from dance. So I could do, I did 63 sit ups. I think something like I was like a set up machine. I was like, excellent. But everything else was like bad. And I'm like, that doesn't seem right. But anyway, I get it. It was a nightmare. And you know, it made me feel bad about myself every year.
1: Yes. J- just the insurmountable like guilt trip that I would put on myself. And oh, this means that I have to be more athletic or eat a certain way or, or watch how I live so that I can be as athletic or as able-bodied and, and able-fitted as the other students in my class. So it just, it was a constant, just not even about how I appeared, but how I could perform athletically. And, and as I wanted to appear as fit as I could, but at the same time, I didn't know how to get to that point.
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense. I think it's so interesting, you know, because at the age of 30, you grew up in a whole different time than I did. You know, we didn't have TV shows like any kind of reality TV at all. I mean, we certainly had fashion model, that sort of thing. Brooke Shields (laughs) was our big fashion model at the time. But, you know, I just can imagine if I was a young person watching America's Next Top Model, how that would have impacted me. I never even thought about that. But yeah.
1: yeah. Like if I was ever sick on a school day, that is the show that I would binge watch. I would, my mom would take care of me from school and I would just be couch potato-y and I I would have all the snacks too. So it was like, here I am, you know, watching this glamorous. It's really an impossible beauty standard that I knew to the core. I knew this was impossible for me and my body, but I so wanted to be a part of that
0: culture. Right, I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very interesting. So you just, did you diet throughout your childhood or just focus on the way you looked and the way you felt?
1: I didn't go on any diets. I guess my biggest thing was trying to be on a treadmill, always trying to walk or have as many steps. It didn't really happen till I was in college. And so there I was, you know, in my early 20s. And I Was gaining some weight. I I remember I needed to find a job. There was a nearby Culver's that had opened in my college town. Is it ice cream? (sighs) Yeah, we don't have that around here. Your burger. Okay. This is a a Wisconsin established restaurant, and they opened up a new location in my college town. And all the college kids were applying. We all needed jobs. We needed to make some money on the side while going to school. I only lasted four months. I will never again work in fast food industry, you think, oh, I'm going to eat just another cheese curd or just another fry or just uh, a small thing of uh, the custard one scoop, you know, and it added on the weight in college four months. And I really could tell from, we had to wear a uniform. By the end of the four months, my khaki pants. (laughs) (laughs) You needed bigger pants
0: forget yeah. it. Oh. Khaki pants also are not very flattering. No. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> At least for me. You know, I was very bottom heavy. I was like a pear shape always. I had a little small waist and I was a little more pear shaped, and which is different now. But that's how I was for you know my younger years. But I can remember pleated khaki pants. And I remember working in an elementary school when like the, the whole trend of having school uniforms was popular for a while. This was in like the 90s. And they decided our uniform was going to be khaki pants. <laughs> it was not pretty.
1: <laughs> we have students. Uh, the students I cater to, they all wear uniform, khaki but pants. But the
0: teachers were wearing it too. We were also, that's what I'm saying. The teachers were wearing the, the uniform. <laughs> Why couldn't it have been like black pants, navy pants? I don't know, anything like that.
1: <laughs> that's rough. Oh, yeah, that's it rough. Was. It was so, rough. You know, uh, their college years in my 20s was when I got more conscious about working out as part of our admissions and fees to the college we also had access to the the rec center the gyms that were available there so I had signed up for a 5k at one point because I had a few other friends who signed up for 5ks and I wanted to be a 5k runner and I I wanted to encompass that lifestyle you know so we would go and train we'd go on the treadmills We would do the elliptical too, just so that I could practice, you know, how runners are, um, they got to take care of their knees. So I didn't want to only do treadmill where there was a lot of pressure on the knees. I did some elliptical just to kind of keep up with the endurance. I didn't lose a lot of weight. I was still not watching what I was eating. And, you know, I was doing the standard American diet, you know, three meals a day, most of my life. It wasn't until 2019, the spring of 2019. And I, honest to God, I've been thinking about this. I don't know how I happened upon intermittent fasting. I think I was just scrolling through Facebook or scrolling through some social media. And I think maybe I had seen a book. I'm a big reader. I love to read. Memoirs are my jam. Fiction is my jam. I'm a big Harry Potter fan, but I really love to read about lifestyle and health and to really try to figure out what I could do while I'm still young. to Right. Continue. That's so important. Yeah. Cause you are still young. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I swear, I think I, I happened upon intermittent fasting, but the first book that I read was the obesity code. That mm-hmm. That is definitely not a memoir. That is not an
0: easy reader.
1: <laughs> oh, no, <it laughs> no. But I really appreciated the science. I'm not a science teacher, but I think what I was telling myself was let's read the science first. Let's see what Dr. Fung has to say. And it really made sense for most of what I could understand. I read his first so that I could read your Delay, Don't Deny later. I'm one of those people that like to save what I think I'm going to enjoy most like for for
0: later. It was dessert. That was your, yes. your fasting book dessert was Delay, Don't Deny. I love that.
1: You delayed it, but you didn't deny it. Exactly. And so I told myself to get to the Delay Don't Deny book, I'm going to read the more sciencey aspect. So when I get to her book, I'll have the foundation of the science aspect where she will, whatever she will explain will make more sense. And I'm glad I did it that way. So I got through the obesity code. I mean, this was now 2019 though. So I, I haven't picked it up since, but I know towards the end, he really talks about the intermittent fasting, the do's and don'ts. Right. So when I got to Delay Don't Deny, it really felt more approachable with the way that you explained it. And I remember devouring it within 24 hours. I had started and I'm like talking to my husband about it. I was in the car, like taking it with me everywhere that I was that day. And I started literally the next day. I was like, you know what, let me just try what a 16 hour fast would be. I don't remember struggling too hard with 16 hours. I tried to make myself eat more in the evening for the dinner time. That's when usually my friends or family, when we would plan for anything to, to get together, we would, you know, schedule for more dinner time meals. So I would try to naturally gravitate towards the dinner time evening to eat and open my window. But I remember when the 16 hours were maybe a little too easy for me. And I like to push myself. So I'm like, okay, maybe I'll go another hour. So let's push it to 17 hours for the next couple days. Okay, that's okay. Let's do 18 hours for the next couple days. Okay, now let's do 19 hours the next. And I was okay, I was trying to listen to my body. But I do remember the first two weeks, I was getting a headache, like your buck was saying. I was getting hangry. And Lord help anyone else, if you're around me and I'm hangry, I will give you the cold shoulder, I will start to ignore you, I'm not going to talk a whole lot, because naturally I'm a bubbly person and I love socializing, I love being with people, but when I'm hungry and it's been a minute and I'm really thinking about where my next meal is and what my next meal will be, I don't want to focus on anything until I have something satiating right to consume, you know, and hangry is something that definitely happens during the adjustment period.
0: You know, just right before we, we started recording, I was in the community looking at the posts and there was somebody in there. I mean, it's like the 28 day fast start group. I love that group because it's you new know, people who are new, they're excited, but like clockwork, you know, they start off, they're feeling good. They're feeling good. Then right around two or three, they're like, why do I feel so terrible? I used to feel good. It feels bad now. And I'm, that's part of the adjustment period. You feel worse before you go through the hump. But yeah, it's like clockwork. You're going to have some bad feeling days. You might feel amazing for a week. And then all of a sudden you feel terrible or two weeks or something like that. But don't expect the adjustment period to be easy. We promise the rest of it is not like that.
1: (laughs) And I was thankful too. I had the mentality and from reading your book that this adjustment phase is only temporary that, you know, if I just work through it, this is the worst part of it, but it's supposed to get easy. So I I had that trust in my gut to just continue on with it. We are not lying to you. When
0: we say that it gets better, we're not lying. We promise you it gets better.
1: (laughs) So thankful for it too. I found wild success just within the first few months that I started. Most of what I was doing in the beginning, uh, once I got adjusted and I felt more confident in my fasting abilities, I was doing about 20 to 22 hour fasts. I would give myself anywhere between two hours and four hours of eating, but mostly, it really got tighter to two hours of eating. I would do most of my eating. I'm a volume eater. I like to eat in one sitting. I make a lot of sauteed vegetables. When I'm really in a health fitness, sauteed vegetables, a couple of runny eggs.
0: Oh, yum, you just that just took it over the top right there.
1: There you go. I love it. I love a runny egg all over sauteed vegetables. And it just feels like a whole meal with some avocado and maybe a little sweet potato on the side. So then that way I get some more fat and then the creaminess that just... And then that starchiness, the carb from the sweet potato. Oh, that sounds like a well-balanced,
0: perfect meal to me.
1: Yep. Yep. So that's how I would usually have a a bunch of pre-cut vegetables and I would just toss them in, make it easy for myself. And then I would try to end the day with, you know, something sweet, sometimes a cookie and milk, almond milk, or like a, like a little dove chocolate of sorts. Cause I'm a big chocoholic too. I cannot say no to chocolate. The darker the chocolate, the better. Yeah.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I love chocolate too. I don't crave it like to the point that I have to eat a lot of it. But when I do, I don't need much, just a little bit, a little bit, a little chocolate. That's it. That's all I need when I have it. But it is so good. So
1: good. The coffee, it's surprising. I didn't feel like I had to struggle with the adjusting. Before I started drinking black coffee, I really was caramel macchiato, Uh uh, latte, frappuccino. I. The less coffee that I could taste and the more sugar and cream that I could taste, the better. And I used to make fun of my husband, who he was more of a, a black coffee drinker naturally. And I would make fun of him and say, you're just drinking hot bean water. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so now that uh, with the fasting and it's introduced me to this whole new world of black coffee. Now we go to like local shops and we try to scope out the hole in the wall coffee shops. So actually, I just went to like my local coffee shop and I'm drinking a cold brew black coffee. Awesome. There's so many much better options even
0: than Starbucks. I remember the first time I ever went to Starbucks ever in my life. I was like older than you are right now before I went. I was in my 30s. It was like 2003. I was in New York City and I didn't drink coffee. Like I was there with my stepmother. We were there around Christmas, and we were at Rockefeller Plaza, and we went to the Starbucks near there, and I didn't drink coffee, so I had a vanilla something or other vanilla bean something. It didn't even have coffee in it. It was like basically literally hot cream or hot whatever with vanilla flavoring and sweetener in there, but starting from that point, I started slowly drinking coffee, and I can imagine it was hard making the transition as someone who grew up as a Starbucks drinker, though. From the latte, caramel, macchiato.
1: I thought it was gonna be hard. But it wasn't that hard. Honestly, like I don't remember struggling so much. I mean, I, I would make fun of my husband because I thought he didn't have taste and that, oh, wh- what do you like? Is the bitter? Ew. Right, you know, yeah. And, but it wasn't until the fasting, and I really think it was allowing my body to take a break from eating all day, that now when I drink black coffee, I can taste the distinguished notes of roasted black coffee beans. And we could tell like from what region we like the best. Like currently my favorite coffee is from Ethiopia. It's got like the blueberry jammy sweet notes, but it's, there's no added nothing. It is just... I'm glad you mentioned notes. I want to talk about that for
0: one second, just because that confuses people so much, the tasting notes. And that wasn't something like when we first started, you know, with the Clean Fast and and our Facebook groups, people were not putting tasting notes on coffee to the degree that they are now. And so it was like, make sure your coffee's black. That was it. But now people are like, well, every coffee has tasting notes. Like, caramel with hint of vanilla. And they're like, "Oh no, I'm breaking my fast." I'm like, "You're not. That's just coffee. I don't taste all those notes in there." But you do. You taste them in there.
1: My husband's better at it than I am. If I really focus and I think there's like a way to do it to cleanse your palate before. You've got to like smell your clothes before so that you <laughs> It's weird. Uh we went to a whole class about coffee tasting. Uh this was last year in February. We did like one class a week for four weeks, and they would tell us, you know, to kind of cleanse your palate, because you smell and taste what it is you're about to consume. And your smelling has to do with how you do taste it when it hits your tongue. So they said to like smell into your You're phone. like cleansing your your
0: nasal passages. Correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's when interesting. Taste it, we would have to like let it sit, take a second and then do the you know, like to get the air going through, get the air going yeah. through, aerated it throughout your mouth. And then I think it takes like three tastes to really get the whole well rounded flavor of that coffee bean. But I've really settled on a really good Ethiopian pour over. That's how I'll order my black coffee. I have become the bougie coffee, coffee snob. I love it. <laughs> so I, I feel like I've graduated from Starbucks. Macchiato and lattes to now be more pricey, but also uh, well worth it. Local coffee roasters, I love that,
0: Lena, because it
1: just lets people know you don't have to be
0: the macchiato girl forever. And it's a lot of fun to experiment. Now I want to try that. I don't know if you heard me talk. I had an episode in the fall. Chad and I went to Charleston. We did a cupping, which is we went to a, a coffee importer, and people were like, "What were you doing there? You said you'd tell us, you never did." Well, I'll just go ahead and say what we were doing. Well, it didn't end up to be anything. I'm part of a mastermind group where it's people in the health and wellness space who are building a health and wellness business and they are always supposed to be selling people things, right? You know, Mm -hmm. if you're a health and wellness person, you're going to sell people things and most people, what do they sell? Supplements right well i'm not going to sell anybody supplements that's although chad wishes i would because he is a medicinal chemist i think he would love to make supplements honestly but we're not going to do that i don't want to sell supplements cuz i don't think people need a lot of supplements so i was at an event for this group and they're like well you, what you could do coffee coffee is part of the clean fast and i'm like well i could i could sell people coffee so then we were exploring the idea of starting a coffee business and when we got down there for that cupping man coffee's complicated Just like you said, you know, what we can get varies season to season, and it's going to be different. And this Ethiopian harvest is going to be different from next year's Ethiopian harvest. Like I learned that the big, like Folgers, for example, you know, Folgers has a certain taste. I mean, I don't know. I don't drink Folgers, but Folgers has like a certain taste that Folgers drinkers want it to taste like. Mm -hmm. Well, the way they get it to taste like that is they have people who are experts in how Folgers is supposed to taste, and they have to buy a bunch of different things and blend them to get that flavor. And so I'm like, there is no way we're going to be able to run a coffee business. And I'm like, and I don't want to sell people anything. So everybody, there is never going to be a Jen Stevens product. Just that's what it is.
1: And I love that you brought up Folgers. I used to drink a lot of Folgers. It was cheap. It would last me a while until I needed to buy another whole thing. Big of giant tub. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not worth it. Uh Oh, and you were the one, actually. It was one of your episodes. You sold me on fresh ground yeah. coffee beans. Makes a difference. My husband bought, it is all on his own. He is the bigger coffee fanatic than I am. And he buys all these gadgets. He bought like this commander- Coffee grinder. It's Is like it a like drink. a manual that you do yourself? You do it yourself. Okay. You put in your coffee beans and then you freshly grind it. So it's like a little workout in the morning, right? And I don't do any French presses or pour overs like he does. He's kind of the barista in the in the household. I just need a coffee pot. I'll just put my freshly ground beans in the coffee pot, push a button, and then it outspits my coffee in like seven minutes or less. So, That's me. I'm, the, I'm just like that. I have a
0: Cuisinart grinder that I really like because you tune in how many cups you're going to do and you tune it to that and press the button and it goes. And then I have a certain coffee maker that I like and they've stopped making it and I'm on like my third and once this one goes, I think we have like a backup in the cabinet because I have like certain things I want a coffee maker to do. I had no idea. (laughs) I need it to keep the coffee warm for like four hours because I'm going to be drinking it for four hours. Some of them turn off the burner and the only way to make the burner come back on is to brew a fresh pot. Did you know that? Really? Yep.
1: <laughs> the things right. I've learned
0: about coffee makers, I had to send one back and I pulled out my old one. And anyway.
1: <laughs> I make enough just for a cup. And i that's my breakfast to go. I make sure my coffee yep. is done, put it in my to-go mug. And then on the way to school, I'll have most of it in the car. Because I know if I get to school where I work, it doesn't get done because I'm doing a million other things. So driving to school is really my... Like sanctuary in a way. I know I get it. I have that's your downtime. That's your quiet time. You're by yourself. You're in your car. You're in your, I get it. Yeah. I brew six cups. I listen to my podcast, and then I get to work, and I do my day fasted.
0: Yeah. It takes me a few hours to get through six cups, and that sounds like a lot until you realize a cup is not eight ounces in the coffee world. What is? It's it? It's not. Well, six ounces. A. A cup of coffee is really six ounces. Yep. So when you go up to the the six cup mark, it's really not six times eight. It's six times six. So it's 36 ounces. Really? Yes. A cup of
1: coffee. Yep. I think I'm right about that. Anyway. I do 12 ounces easily as my first cup. And then right now I ordered a 16 ounce. This is my second cup. Okay. We'll see. That's similar.
0: I drink probably, like I said, about 36 ounces of coffee. (laughs) but over like from like six until noon so it's like over six hours I'm like sipping it slowly so
1: <laughs> so that's where I'm at now kind of with my journey you get to work and you don't when when do you open your window now
0: when you're working you just wait till you get home
1: yes so right now when this season I usually wait till I get home um, and it really depends on when I get home if I get home, it's usually between 4 and 7 p.m. Because oftentimes I'll go to the gym right after school. I'll work out. I do some strength training. All in the fasted
0: state. You do that yeah. in the fasted state. Yeah, yes. you feel good. The reason I mentioned that is because people always want to know about working out in the fasted state. You've plenty of endurance. I can't work out
1: if I'm full of food. Even if mm-hmm. I have a snack, I don't even want a banana. I don't even right. want nothing else. I just feel like if I have even the littlest thing in my stomach that when I'm jumping around or lifting heavy and I'm breathing in and out, you know, trying to make sure that my breaths match with how I'm lifting, pushing and pulling, I just feel nauseous. So I've been working out since 2017. 2017 was when I was at my highest weight. I remember I had to go to a doctor's office just for a normal checkup. I had just landed my first teaching job. I needed to get... A normal checkup. The weight that day, it was May 31st of 2017. I'll never forget. I was 196 pounds. And how tall are you? I'm 5'4". Okay. And I got so scared. I was panicky. Because that's the that's in the obese range for 5'4". Yeah. yeah. And that is a scary thing to hear. It is. I didn't know that I was four pounds away from 200. I did not want to see a two in that hundreds place. I was scared. Literally, after that doctor's appointment, you know, I got my TB test and everything, and they checked me out. I was fine. Here's another crazy thing the doctor never said anything about my weight, or height, or BMI, or nothing. I never got the talk about how unhealthy I was. It was more of a personal knowledge. Like I, I had already known and I did not want to see 200 pounds reflected on the
0: scale. That was a big thing for me. When the first time I got on and saw the two, it really felt like, oh, you know, if I got on and it, it was like, not just as long as there was a one, you know, I could say it's okay. But once that two was there, I was like, that was the threshold. I said, I'd never pass. The biggest number I ever saw for me was 210. I can't say I didn't weigh more than that at some point because there was a period of time I wasn't weighing at all. But 210 was the number I saw and it, it felt bad at 5'5". Five, five.
1: And, and so immediately after that doctor appointment, I didn't even go home. I went straight to the next gym that was close by. And I went in and I had asked desperately, Do you have any openings for a personal trainer to kick my butt? You know, so I went in and I didn't even want a membership. I wanted personal training. I wanted someone that I could go to, tell me how to eat, tell me how to work out, tell me how. And this was, of course, 2017. So this was two years before I found intermittent fasting. So I was following this regimented routine. I really appreciate my first personal trainer, though. She held me accountable like no other. She had me document everything that I would eat, everything within that week. I had to bring the homework back in the next week. She would take a highlighter and then start highlighting some questionable on my calendar. And because I had to write it and I told myself, Lena, you have to be honest. If you're going to cheat on this... You're not cheating anyone but yourself. That's right.
0: That's probably the hardest thing was like admitting it, writing it down. Because, you know, you probably look, I know what you talked about your childhood and how you were so self-conscious about how you looked. You are a pleaser, right? Mm -hmm. You wanted her to like what she saw.
1: (laughs) It was more like, I want me to be successful so that she can be a a successful personal trainer. I get it. Yeah, yeah. And because I'm a teacher... I find success in others, and in a way, it intertwines back to me. So, I want to be a good teacher, but I also want to be a good student. And I'm going to right. I knew through. that you wanted
0: her to be giving you a
1: gold star and an A. Yeah. Oh, I am <laughs> such a gold star quarter. Yeah. I want all right. the gold yeah. stars. So, anything she told me, I was like, yes, yes, ma'am, I will do that. Yes. She would give me workouts to do on my own for the days that we were not personal training together. And I would go do them like the the machines in the gym were all numbered. So I just had to follow an app and it told me what to do and how much weight to put on and, you know, how to work it out and all that. So I learned how to work out and I enjoy working out, but I also learned how to be more conscious about what I was eating. So even though I didn't learn how to fast at the time, but at least to be mindful of, you know, what does a portion look like for eating for one? I remember starting out eating 1,600 calories, and then when I had moved and I had to go to a different gym and get a different personal trainer because I didn't want to lose that that accountability and that, that support, I had a personal trainer who, she enticed me to go lower with the calorie eating. Wow. Okay. So you
0: were at 1,600 and your personal trainer wanted you to go lower.
1: Yeah, a different one because she was more about the aesthetic, about looking a certain way. Whereas my first personal trainer, she was on her journey to becoming a registered dietitian. She was more focused on health and wellness and and fitness. But when I had changed personal trainer, my new one was more telling me, well, you, you could get... To 125 pounds. And I think at the time I had lost maybe my first 10 or 15 pounds. So I went from 196 to maybe around 180. Okay. And I was starting to see some progress around my shoulders. And I was kind of surprised at where I was losing weight, my first 30 to 35 pounds was the traditional method of, you know, counting calories and working out and eating three healthy meals a day with healthy snacking in between. Right. So my first 30 to 35 pounds was through that route. But that second personal trainer had it in my head. She was like, you, you really could get to 120 or 125. If you really wanted, but we would have to go down to 1,200 calories a day.
0: Yeah, that's that magic number. Why is that number 1,200? That's the one I always tried to stick to, 1,200 calories. That is not very much food.
1: And I don't know anything. You know, I'm just an English teacher and, and that's my area of expertise. We could find a thousand
0: recommendations to eat 1,200 calories a day. That sounds so logical. Yes, I
1: remember hating it. I absolutely hated counting every single thing that I would have to put in my mouth. And my husband would help me out with it too. Like uh, So on like Sunday or Monday, the beginning of the week, I remember the biggest thing that I was eating was Greek yogurt chicken salad for lunch. So I would prep it to take with me to school. It was like a third of a cup of Greek yogurt and like five ounces of cooked chicken breast. And then I would even count the green onion and the oh. celery that I would put in. I would count the sunflower seeds that I would put in, even like the little squeeze of lemon juice to give it like that the flavor, brightness, yeah. the brightness within it. I mean, everything. And I had this app, my fitness pal, which bless it because it did teach me like the value of certain foods and and how high in calories some are versus others. So I learned a lot in that process, but I hated it. I was so sick of it. And God forbid, if I wanted to go out to eat and just hang out with friends and family or, or celebrate a holiday, the math behind figuring out what was on the plate that I didn't put together. If I didn't cook it, I was panicky. Yeah. I remember those days. That was, you know, I I told this story
0: maybe in Delay, Don't Deny. I can't remember. But it was when I went to, my stepmother still makes fun of me. I don't know if if this is in Delay, Don't Deny. But she was having spaghetti. This is when I was trying to diet at one point along the way in probably the 90s. And I was counting calories. And she was having spaghetti, baked spaghetti for the family. And I brought a Michelina's spaghetti microwavable for myself because those were, it was 220 calories. I remember that it was 220 calories and I ate the Michelina's 220 calorie because I could calculate that. I did not eat her spaghetti. And so like, she made fun of me for that for a long time. And I was just trying my best, right. You know, counting those calories.
1: (laughs) But logically that makes sense. And because you know the numerical value of something that you're bringing from the store. It has to has, have that nutritional label. But when you go and eat something home cooked that someone else made, you don't have that numerical value and you're stuck with guessing what was all in and, and how much of everything. So, you know, I was just thankful in 2019, the spring of 2019, where... I finally found intermittent fasting and I was shocked at you because you said that you didn't have to calorie count. And I'm like, that's blasphemous. This is (laughs) not the world that I know. (laughs) Yeah. I will say it took some time to trust the process. I get that. Because I was fed something from who I thought were the experts at the time and they knew what, what the knowledge they had to pass on to me. So reading something totally different, it was like, who am I gonna trust? And and I well, just Yeah. It was Jason Fung. I mean,
0: I will tell you when I first started doing intermittent fasting, I believed it worked because everything I was reading out there, the fast 5, everything I was reading, eat stop eat. You know, even Up Day, Down Day, all the books that I read that talked about intermittent fasting all said intermittent fasting works because you're eating fewer calories. They all said that. And my mind was blown before The Obesity Code came out. I started reading Jason Fung's blog posts that he had before he wrote Obesity Code. And he was talking about calories in, calories out and the flaws. And it blew my mind because I never thought about that. You know, we can try to control calories in, but our bodies control calories out. And that's the part that is the wrinkle in the whole, you know, math formula. And also the fact that what you put in, all calories are not created equal. You you start reading the studies about like almonds, for example. You know, you eat this many calories of almonds, but your body can only access X number of calories of almonds because it takes calories to process the almonds and so then you realize well okay even calories in the calories inside is wrong and so is the
1: calories outside yeah all of that when I was reading about the calories in and calories out because that's what my personal trainers would simplify it as right that it was as simple as calories in and calories out and you know
0: Technically, maybe it is, except that you can't control it. That's the problem. You can try to control calories in, but then your body still is going to extract the number of calories out of there, depending on what you ate. And the whole calories out, your body can upregulate or downregulate your metabolism based on a bunch of factors. So we really can't just do the math. That's the part that blew my mind. And if you stick to low calorie, like if you do 1200 calories a day, eating all day long, and you do that every single day forever, your body will slow your metabolic rate. Yeah. To match that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I remember like being at the end of the day and maybe I would have like a little bit of calories left, but I was still hungry. I, I was never really satisfied. You know, I would eat all the nutritional foods, but I was still like there was something nagging at me or driving at me to eat a little bit more. And, but I was so scared to because again, like I'm that gold star kind of girl. If it didn't match what I was doing, I knew I was cheating myself and I didn't want to cheat myself. So, you know, I found a lot of success. The last 30 pounds that I had lost, I saw in the summer of 2019. And I did get down to about 135 pounds by then. And that was before intermittent fasting? No, that was after after you
0: started. Okay. Okay. So when you started intermittent fasting, do you remember what you weighed when you started intermittent fasting? I know you'd already lost some. I was maybe about 160-ish. Okay. So you started at 160 and got down to 135 by that summer. And at that point, had you let the calorie counting go by then?
1: Okay. I was so ready to let it go. I was like, "Ah, Uh,
0: I don't want to see you again. (laughs) No more calorie counting. My body's going to tell me if I need to eat
1: some more. And truthfully, I'm so lazy at heart. I want to do the bare minimum. I don't want to do all this extra to get to where I want to feel healthy and confident and fit. So when I was reading your book, and it was more like, to heck with calorie counting. I'm like, yes, ma'am. But it's going to take some time to trust, but okay, I can get on that bandwagon and see where this is going to take me. So I let go of the calorie counting. I still had a lot of the knowledge from what I learned along my health and fitness. But I will say some of my non-scale victories, I fell in love with strength training. It got so much easier to lift and to progressively build the weight that I was lifting and pushing and pulling. Once you started fasting, it got easier? It got easier. There was an adjustment period with that too, though, for me. I'll be honest. When I was first getting into the strength training as much as I was, and I was incorporating the fast, I felt a little nauseous putting in some energy that I was used to, but without the food or the energy that I was taking in. And at one point I was worried about the regimen that I was putting myself in. But I told myself, it's just an adjustment period. Continue on, do what you need to do. Eat when you feel like you need to. I allowed myself grace to eat that banana if I felt like I needed to have something in my stomach. But now, what's it's 2023 and like four years later, I'll go on hikes or an hour-long strength session with some friends and I won't have any issues with seeing the end of that workout in a fasted state. Your body is fully adapted. That that's
0: a really important lesson to share because yeah. somebody just starting off with a new regimen and intermittent fasting may have a transition time where they're they're not their body's not used to that yet. That doesn't mean it won't be. That doesn't mean you're not going to get there. And you know, I think that's probably also part of the myth of must eat before working out. You know, if you try it one time and you feel awful, then you're like, oh, it's because I didn't eat. And then you're like, all right, that's what it is. I can never do that again when really it's just you're not built up to it yet. Your body isn't adapted to it. But, yeah, I have endurance to do anything I want to do in the fasted state. I mean, you know, I'm not like lifting heavy, heavier things than like a case of San Pellegrino. But, <laughs> but you know, I can do what I need to do. Right though. I'm glad that you're you're finding yourself to be very strong in the fasted state. And so I
1: bet you've continued to build
0: muscle really well.
1: I did. I was really shocked. I remember being 196 pounds and saying, oh, I want to get rid of my belly. Oh, I want to get rid of my thighs. When I finally got into the fasted adjustment phase with my strength training, I was shocked at how much my shoulders were forming. They were sculpting my back had such a major uplift. I used to have really thick rolls behind me on my back. But once I was fast, I really think it was that fasting. It like targeted that fat. Your body ate up the fat, just like it was supposed to do. I was like, is this the fountain of youth? And I found it in my 20s? Yes. Oh my gosh. I remember taking all these before and after pictures and using like the this flip grid or this, uh, this flip you know, capacity app. And I was obsessed with putting like a picture of me in this one dress that I wore at a wedding versus a picture of me now wearing the same dress and it being a garbage bag on me. Hanging on you. Hanging on me. My legs had a drastic change. I remember like, I thought I was only seeing the change In my upper body, I lost a lot of my face, neck and shoulders. And of course, in my waist, I got down from a size at my biggest, I was at a size 16. I got down to a size four. Wow. That's where I am. And I just remember like, I thought it was just my upper body that had the change. My lower body, my legs, my calves, I like cut in half based off of where I was at in 2017.
0: Yeah, you know, I would said I used to be a pear and I'm not a pear anymore. So, like my body shape completely changed with intermittent fasting versus what it had been even when I was dieting before, like when I was doing a traditional diet prior to intermittent fasting, I was still a pear. I guess my body stores fat, you know, down in my hips and thighs area versus now.
1: Nope, <laughs> no more pear. <laughs> I will say too, like I didn't know how curvy I am until I started losing the fat and Toning up a lot of the muscles, but it's beautiful, great curves, right? Like juicy curves, good curves. The good curves. It was, you know, I'm full around the hips, and I'm how do they say, like, snatched in your <laughs> <in the laughs> waist is yeah, the waist yeah. is snatched. I feel more confident. I could fit in places better. I remember even the seatbelt that I wore. Not to say that I was that I couldn't drive a car or anything, but I just noticed. I got to use less of the seat belt in my car and I could tell like when I'm looking down and I'm sitting in the driver's seat that my tummy doesn't protrude out.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember when my like when I would be trying to eat in the car back in my, my obesity days, I would be like eating my Chick-fil-A in my lap driving to work and like I barely had any room between my belly and the steering wheel. It was hard to eat in my lap because my lap was just full of me.
1: Ah. <sighs> See, it, it, I didn't get to that point, but I could tell when I was sitting that my torso was much flatter. I remember like those little non skill victories, the little seat belts, the difference in how I felt when I sat, painting my toenails didn't kill me anymore. I mean, but I enjoy activity. I like going out for walks and hikes. We have a dog now, her name's Robin. Hello, Robin. Oh, But she has been such a joy with keeping the activity different, you know, not just going on my own walks with podcasts, but now, you know, she's in the, in the picture and um, it's fun. You know, she teaches me to enjoy the activity. You can't walk with a cat. You know,
0: we live on the beach now and Ellie, she's my little shadow, but I have to sneak away from the house to go on my beach walk because <laughs> oh. we don't want her to go on the beach. She doesn't go over the dune yet that we've seen, but I don't want Ellie running down the beach, you know. Not a good time. <laughs> with all for the Ellie. people. No, but I have to sneak away to go on my walks without Ellie. But wouldn't it be nice if you could put a leash on a cat and walk it down
1: the beach? I would love Right, right. If they had the uh excitement like dogs do. <laughs> yeah.
0: I do I love to sit on my porch. I don't like I said, I don't have dogs, but I love to sit on my porch and watch the dogs on the beach with the owners because there is nothing happier than a dog on a beach. Have you ever taken Robin to the beach?
1: No, but I plan to this summer. We just adopted her back in September. So this summer, I am taking a true summer break. I promised myself not to teach summer school this year. I've done it for the past two years, and I've had a wonderful time. But I really need some me time and I promised Robin too, although, you know, she can't understand me, but I promised her, Robin, we are going to have a wonderful summer together. I'm going to take her to the beach. We're going to go on long walks. Uh, We're going to go to some different parks that are dog friendly. And we got a backpack that we put her into It's a backpack specifically for carrying your dogs. So there's a little bit of weight lifting right there too, some strength training. And yesterday we were able to go for a 30-minute walk with her on my back with the backpack. And that I can kind of feel up here in my neck and shoulders from where the weight was. Other than that, it's not too bad. My back is fine. My abs are fine. My legs are fine. Just a tad little sore, but
0: just think of how much weight you were carrying around just of your own body. And now just feeling that dog, you know, how, how much does she weigh? Do you know?
1: She's 30 pounds. Okay. Yeah. She's a substantial dog. She's a medium-sized Chihuahua boxer mix. So she I'm kind of jealous of her. There is no reason why this dog should look as muscular as she is. So all we do is <laughs> give her walks. We feed yeah. her twice a day. We give her some treats for training and such. But I mean, when she's standing, she looks built. Oh, I love that. <laughs> she's she's your dog.
0: She, you, you know, know what do they
1: say? Dogs look like their owners. Oh, Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I'm hoping to to get more of the winter weight. The winter rolls off. It's April now, and I'm we have a couple of weddings to go to one wedding this month and then two weddings in June. So I'm looking to, you know, shut off some of the winter weight that I managed to put on, but I'm thankful for the fasting that it's a routine and something that I've already adapted to that. I can just easily go. I don't want to say that I'm going back into it, but I'm just going to tighten my window. We got a little window
0: creep that happens to me. And that's what maintenance is like. So for people, you know, who are, are not at maintenance yet, or if you're struggling in maintenance, maintenance is not you hit a goal, weight, bam, there you are forever. And it's just there. You have to, you know, pay attention to how your honesty pants are fitting or is my window creeping and is it getting longer? Am I having more wine? Am I having more ice cream? So you do still have to be mindful in maintenance.
1: That is my biggest struggle.
0: There are seasons of a little bit of gain and seasons of a little bit of tightening up. And that is, but the difference is, is that you have the tools now. You're not going to like gain all the way back unless you stop intermittent fasting and you're not going to stop.
1: Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing too, is I'm committed. I have seen the other end. I've seen the success of Intermittent fasting, but my biggest struggle is that maintenance. And I remember when I was on my journey to losing the weight and to toning and to gaining the muscle, I remember that terror in a way. Like I, I had this feeling in my gut, like, but what happens when you get to 135? What happens when you get to that goal weight? And I was like, no, 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 I'm just not going to think about it. I'm just going to think about losing it and losing it and losing it. I never had a Plan. And I, I don't know if I took it seriously enough that I would see myself continuing to do it. But with the struggle of maintenance, gaining the five pounds, gaining the 10 pounds, and then losing the 10 pounds, and then gaining 15, and it, it, the window creep is so real. Yeah. Now I, I have to be honest, I'm not at 135 right now. I'm really like 159. Okay. Okay. So I've gained. 25 pounds. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest too. The school year really kicked my butt.
0: Yeah. There is no stress like school teacher stress.
1: Oh my gosh. I stress eat and I stress binge. So I struggle with some eating challenges too, but I'm thankful for the fasting that it, the past like couple of weeks or so, I had to go back to the app that I push the button and I have to start my fast when I push the button. And then when I end it, it's pushed. And I don't go back yep. if I push it.
0: Because you can follow that rule. That's what the app did for me. And there was a time, you know, I haven't weighed since, okay, what year did I weigh? I lost the weight 2015, since like 2017, or let's just say, so 2017-ish is the last mm-hmm. time I weighed, whenever that was. But I know over the pandemic, I know I in 2020, I know I put on some weight. I was also going through menopause at that time. I don't know. I wasn't weighing, but I'm sure that I did because my honesty pants got tight. I pulled out my app and I started using my app again. And I was like, all right, my app, because, you know, I'm a a window tracker, five hours or less. That was it. I went back to five hours or less. I needed to do that for like a month. I did that. And I just needed that accountability.
1: Yeah. I'm glad to hear that it's not just a me problem.
0: Oh, gosh, no. Maintenance is not just you get to your weight and bam, you're done because We've got all these years of diet history and we want to be able to just relax and quote be normal. But, you know, with intermittent fasting, the the plan that got us to our goal weight, that is going to be very similar to what maintenance looks like. You know, you can't lose with, you know, for me, a five-hour eating window and then go to an eight-hour eating window. That that wouldn't work for me. I've got to keep I mean, I can have an eight-hour eating window on occasion, yeah. but I have to really stick to What got me here, right? The five hour eating window is still a really good boundary for me. So we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting? Or what do you wish you knew when you first started?
1: I wish I would have known how easy it was, like just going back to some of the the new knowledge that I was learning about when I was reading Dr. Fung's book and then reading your book, "Didlay Don't Deny. And, and since then I've read the fast feast repeat. I downloaded it as an audio book, but I just, I wish I would have known how easy and simple it was. I feel like I just struggled with accepting the truth or accepting the knowledge, criticizing like, Oh, but it doesn't match what I learned in the beginning. That's what I would tell anybody is if, you are still in that critical phase or that the knowledge doesn't match. Well, that's really what you could find about anything. You have to unlearn some of that past stuff that we took as gospel. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent that there's going to be different information out there on anything and everything, even in the teaching world, right? Like how often do I go to a professional development and I'm told one thing and then I go to a different professional development three months later and I'm told I'll learn that. And then you have to. Oh, it's
0: true. Oh, as an English language arts teacher, I cannot even tell you. Teaching reading is one of those things. I started teaching in 1990 and things would cycle through phonics, no phonics sight words, no sight words. I mean, it was just crazy. And this is research-based. Oh, no, 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 no. This is research-based.
1: So yeah, you and I get it. Just the unlearning and then the trusting of yourself. I really wanted it to work. And I made sure that I would give myself the necessary time to adjust. And I felt like I could find that success within it. So that's what I would tell myself. I would just trust it. Yeah, continue it on, make that routine and make it as simple as possible.
0: Well, I love that. Well, Lena, thank you so much for sharing your story today. And thank you for being honest about the struggles of maintenance, too, because I think that people need to hear that. You know, it's not just here we are, boom, happily ever after. There's sometimes some. you have to be really honest, but you always know when you take a hard look, right? I always do. Absolutely. Well, thank you. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.